The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome to Bears Over Fears. I'm Jeff Perkins, a writer for Windy City Gridiron, and I'm joined, as always, by EJ Snyder. EJ, I went to Soldier Field. I got Justin Fields to start. He got a win. I mean, I feel like I should get season tickets. Everything is good in Chicago. Yeah, I think that's a necessity at this point because not only did you get him a start, but you got Nagy to get off his Dalton pillar. He now says Fields is a starting quarterback for the rest of the year. I, I don't think we can mess with the streak here. I mean, it's only one, but I don't think we can mess with the streak. It's important stuff. Well, we have a streak going on Bears Over Beers of pretty amazing guests, and we are continuing that streak tonight. We got Ted Wynn from The Athletic, who also covers the Raiders. We got that, but he does some amazing film work. You can find Ted on Twitter at FB underscore film analysis, which I feel like was a very early Twitter handle to to get in on that. But Ted, thank you so much for coming on Bears Over Beers. No problem. Thanks for having me on. And uh, yeah, I don't think any as much people want that f- handle as you, you think. People always confuse me as a guy that works at Facebook. They think I work in tech for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, I don't like the underscore. That that's maybe one thing yeah. I'm not a big fan of is underscore. I wanted to make sure I didn't get I didn't do that when I set up my handle. But otherwise, I feel like you came in early to get something like that. Sort of. My my my, my first handle was Raiders analysis when I just covered the Raiders. I was surprised I was able to get that one actually but uh yeah well we'll uh get into raiders but we need to uh have a couple of drinks as as is customary around here and ej i'm gonna let you go first because i got something special oh of course you always have something special (laughs) i have i have something lucky that actually would have worked uh much more appropriately for the game that i sat about 25 feet under ted to watch which was week one raiders uh ravens raiders and this is the black raven Flocktoberfest lager. You know, it's seasonal. Uh, I have had stuff from Black Raven before, but I have not had this. This one's new to me. Usually the stuff I get from them is uh, either their IPAs or their stouts. Um, it's a limited release. Um, Czech hops uh, made right up in Woodenville, Washington. So I'm I'm excited. New beer for me. And that's always a good day. What do you have? Can't believe you didn't save that for later this year. You'll have to have another one. Do you see this lovely bottle here? Oh, I do. This is Weller Antique 107. I'm showing it to the YouTube crowd that will be posting this video later. Uh, This is a bottle that I have been trying to find for a long time. And a listener, Chad Vonk, uh, was kind enough to gift me this bottle. 
And so an amazing wow. gift from a listener. And as a thank you for putting out uh, Bears Over Beers and and Hallis to Mac, my history series that I did uh, last went last summer. So thank you, Chad. And we are going to open this up and get this going. So that's like this. liquid Patreon. That's awesome. I, I, I mean, getting paid in uh, hard to find whiskey is kind of an amazing perk. I, I did not know we could do that. Um, well, so you know, seems as though we can until somebody tells us we can't. So uh, we'll ask for forgiveness rather than permission. Well, cheers oh, to guys, that. You, you guys have some amazing listeners. That's a pretty awesome little gift there. I should say so. He's he, he needs to get a T-shirt back for for sure. Fair <laughs> enough. On the mail to Chad. So let's get into this. Uh, let's get into this, Ted, because I find the Raiders to be pretty interesting. Um, they're interesting first and foremost because they have one of the most sound bite uh, head coaches in John Gruden. He's in year four of the 10-year, $100 million contract on on the remix as he comes back as the Raiders head coach. We know he's good for the quotes. We know he's good for some offense. But what is going on overall with this team? And do you how would you evaluate his second stint here as Raiders head coach? I think from a, a coaching perspective, especially from the offensive side of the football, he's, he's brought exactly what... Uh, Mark Davis wanted him to bring. He is he was able to really elevate Derek Carr's game. Uh, really worked on some of the things that he struggled on, like playing under pressure and making play second reaction type of plays. And those are things that Carr struggled with. Even in 2016, when he has his uh, MVP candidate type of year, he just wasn't good in those um, aspects. And and Gruden came in, he saw those as weaknesses, and he made it a point to really get Carr to be more aggressive. And it's, it's, you know, he saw his numbers slowly climbing year to year. And this year uh, it's really kind of exploded. And, um, you know, I I think when Mark Davis hired him and gave him that contract, he wanted him to have a special type of relationship with Derek Carr, where he could be, uh, have some continuity in an offense and really take uh, some ownership of it. And I I think we're starting to see that with Carr. Unfortunately, um, I think John Gruden, the, the general manager, kind of gets in his way sometimes. And the team, you know, although he has he has hit on some um, on some prospects like Max Crosby, uh, but just like on the on just some of the first round draft pick reaches, like you know with Cleveland Farrell, um, those type of picks ha- have hurt this team. Um, so I, I just think that um, as far as the general manager is kind of a mixed bag, I would say it is more bad than good. Uh, but as, as an offensive play caller, uh, he, he's been everything as advertised. That's funny because we have we have a coach in Chicago that uh, gets in his own way sometimes. He's a good play designer and he's a good uh, we call him a CEO head coach. Players play for him. He can keep people engaged, but he's a terrible play caller. So uh, he's got a different strength, and different weakness. But it's really interesting that you brought up Carr under pressure because just last week they played the Chargers. Joey Bosa said, and we quote about Derek Carr. Great dude, great player. Carr's been having a great year, but we know once you get pressure on him, he kind of shuts down and he's not as effective with crowded pockets. Probably true of most quarterbacks, right? You get in their face and they're less effective. But is pressure the only way to get into Carr's face and slow him down? Or are there other ways that you've seen teams scheme against Derek Carr, even in the sort of John Gruden-fueled second stint of Derek Carr? Well, I think um, with Carr, uh, I, I think he earned that reputation as a guy who folds under pressure, uh, especially after he, he had that horrific leg injury in 2016. He was very skittish in a pocket. 
when the, the pocket collapsed, he was throwing off his back foot and, and doing things like that. Uh, so I can see where Joey Bosa is coming from because, you know, you can see those things on film in a pass. Uh, but, you know, as I mentioned, he's gotten better in those things uh, year to year as when Gruden got here. And this year, you can't. I don't think you can say that about Carr anymore. And you can see that even in a Chargers game where, you know, in the second half, a lot of those big explosive pass plays were a result of Carr holding onto the ball, creating with his legs, letting things develop even though he was heavily pressured in the first half. And Ed Carr kind of um, snapped back at Bosa a little bit today saying, you know, did Bosa watch the game in reverse? Because, you know, <laughs> as the game went along, Carr actually was staying in a pocket and and trying to create plays uh, more as the play went along, you know, the game went along instead of the opposite. Um, and and uh, as far as, as with Derek Carr, I talked to uh, a Hall of Fame defensive coordinator. I, I won't name who he is, but he – you know, one of the things he told me is, you know, he wants Carr to check down. So he's going to find ways, you know, to set his defense to just make Carr throw the ball short and check down. And because he was so willing to do it before, uh, just based on certain looks, that that was one way you get to him. But I think this year he's just been more aggressive. Uh, but right now the Raiders' offensive line is, I think, among one of the worst offensive lines in the, in, in the league. This is one of the worst offensive lines that, that he's had, and that's really – what's stopped this offense, especially in the first half of games when a pass rush has amped up and when they've have had energy, uh, they just, this offensive line hasn't been able to handle them. And when, you know, you see the, the Raiders offense start to have success, it's when those defensive lines start tiring out. And that's when they get a little better pass protection. And that's when our offense really starts to kick in gear. We'll have to have a battle between Bears offensive line and Raiders offensive line just to see who's <laughs> who's who's having more struggles. But I want to ask about Khalil Mack because you know any time that you know Khalil Mack and and the Raiders come up, we have to at least revisit this a little bit. So we're it's been you know just over three years since the Raiders traded Mack to the Bears. The Raiders were dead last in sacks in 2018, the year the year they traded him. They only had 13. So there was this like, will Mac have more sacks than the Raiders as a team in that year that they did that? The next year they were tied for 24th in the league. And then last year they were 29th in the league. Looks like they're having a little bit better start to the season. But you know, if you if the Raiders had the ability to go back and change history, would they have kept Mac or do you think that they would do that deal again? Um I, th- I, th- you know, it, d- it depends on uh, who you're asking. If you're, you know, if you're asking John Gruden, I think, you know, he, he's never going to say he, he regretted that trade. He, he's going to say uh, that he had no choice but to make that trade um, and he would do, do it again. But I mean, if you're asking me to, you know, looking at it from an analytical perspective, I think that the trade got the Raiders fair value as far as capital but the way that they used that capital uh, just wasn't good. So the, the first round picks that they gotten from the trade, uh, you know, didn't haven't panned out the cap room that they've gotten from not paying Mac this huge contract. Uh, they haven't used wisely. They had a bunch of free agent busts, uh, but this year they, they've done better. I mean, Max Crosby is one of the guys they hit on. Uh, Yannick and Gakwe has been really good. Uh, some of the defensive line guys that they've been able to sign have all worked out. But in the past couple of years, uh, those free agent signings and, and the draft picks were just, um, just you know, they netted zero for the Raiders. So uh, the trade ended up being lopsided because of the way that they used the capital uh, that they, they got for Mac. Ding, ding, ding. Perfect answer. Love it. 
uh, and their defensive line has looked much more energetic this year. Started off in the first game and they gave the Ravens fits. Uh, they've kept it going. Crosby obviously is the sort of breakout star on that line. You mentioned in Gawkway, Solomon Thomas <laughs> is making mm-hmm. contributions, uh, which I put a question mark after because he's been extremely quiet in his time in the league. But uh, again, it's starting to gel and come together um, under Gus Bradley, who started out in under Gruden in Tampa, coordinated Seattle's cover three Legion of Boom. Um Spent the last four years with the Chargers. What do you think the most interesting thing that Bradley's brought to this defensive unit is? Because they are playing with a new energy. Yeah, I think that he's brought an order to this defense, and that's something that they they haven't had. They had, you know, with Jack Del Rio, it was eye violations. It was, uh, you know, blown coverages. And we're starting to see some of those things with the Washington football team now. And then after uh, Jack Del Rio, it was Paul Gunther, and you know the defense was too complicated. Guys didn't know what they were doing. He was trying to do too much. And now Gus Bradley comes in, and you know I was a little um, hesitant to say that it was a good hire, even though Bradley has had a you know some good defenses, even outside of the, the Legion of Boom. But I just thought that style of defense, that single high cover three system, it's just not going to be able to. Um, to counter some of these offenses that we're seeing the league, these wide open offenses that we're seeing the league now. Uh, But I I think one underrated part about Bradley coming in was he brought his own coaches. So he brought a few of his uh, coaches that have have been with him and has taught the system for a long time. Uh, Like Ron Miles, a secondary coach. And those guys are really cohesive. They know the language, they know what they're looking for. And, you know, they, they just, there's a synergy between them and you can see it kind of play out. Uh, in this defense because this this uh, these young players have picked it up so quickly and uh, it, it just seems like they're playing a lot faster now and you know they're not going to do anything crazy exotic um, schematically where they're going to try to trick you uh, but they've been really solid they've been in the right places I've hardly seen any blown coverages from them and it, it's allowed this pass rush to uh, kind of work because there's no you know easy opportunities in in a secondary quarterbacks to hit. Yeah, yeah, I want to follow up on that because it kind of seems like you bring in Gus Bradley to give you like a base level of competence. And as, mm-hmm. as I'm not being negative. I'm just, you're not necessarily saying like, I need a world beater to come in and make this defense, you know, a top five unit. You're looking for someone to come in and be like, I, I'm sick of the tire fire that is been the defense here. Can I just get a level of competence because I believe in my offense so much that we're going to win games on offense? I mean, is was did you does that make sense? Is was that kind of the plan of like let's just get a base level of competence in here? Let's not try to reinvent defense. Let's kind of get in here so that we can let our offense shine. Uh, that that makes a hundred percent chance. I hundred percent sense because you know the Raiders under Gruden have been you know a borderline top ten de- offense, and I think they were uh, in the top ten um, last year, but their defense was so bad that it really negates any type of progress the offense was making. They were uh, consistently ranked, you know, at the, in the, as the bottom, as a bottom five defense. And if you study defenses and um, how they kind of fluctuate throughout the years, every single team, you know, their defense fluctuates, you know, it's hard to stay in the top uh, 10 of defenses and it's stop hard to stay in the bottom 10, but the Raiders amazingly were consistently a bottom five defense. Uh, so they just need, they just needed somebody to get them, you know, out of that 
that bottom five range is somewhere, you know, maybe 15 to 20th. If they got in that range, I felt like they could be a playoff team. And I think, you know, Bradley at least brought them enough competence to where I, I think they could end up being a, a top, you know, a 15 to 20th uh, defense. And if the offense can pick it up, this, you know, it, it could be a playoff formula. All right. Enough talk about the Raiders. I have to ask you about a Bears player because you you do write a lot about the league. You're writing a lot about these rookie quarterbacks. So when you're looking at Justin Fields on film, what are you seeing from like the prospect that he was that we we were very excited about? How has that translated to two plus games of Justin Fields as the primary snap taker for the Bears? Yeah, I, I think a lot of the, the strengths that we saw from Justin Fields in college, as far as his ability to throw the ball downfield, his ball placement, his his accuracy, we're, we see those things translate, um, and, and his weaknesses as well. There, there are times when he could anticipate a little better, when he could move on from a read a little bit quicker. And I think in college, some of that stuff was by design, and some of that stuff uh, was taught to him because Ohio State wanted him to play a certain way. And uh, now when he's in a pros, he has to move a little quicker. He has to read things a little bit differently. And, you know, it's going to be a little bit of a transition. And, and you know, we, we saw in that Browns game, which I don't put much fault on him at all, but there were times where I thought he could move a little bit quicker. And, you know, even uh, even against the, uh, the Lions, there was times where I thought he could throw the ball with a little more anticipation. Uh, but these are all – these are things that, you know, any – you could say of any rookie quarterback. Um, so I, I think – uh, with fields you know he he belongs in offense where he go heavy play action and you know you don't you don't need to put f- f- five guys in a route because he has the arm talent to fit those balls into tight windows and you know against the lions they added more guys protection sacrifice some spacing but you saw um, fields uh, make those amazing throws into tight windows um, but one thing i want to see more of with fields is i want to see more option runs you know they, they ran a few zone reads with him, but I mean, that's about the extent of their option runs. You know, you should have a bigger package of option runs when you have an elite quarterback like Justin Fields, uh, because it helps them transition to the league, gives them another tool to work with uh, where he doesn't have to just rely on the drop back game. Cause that could be very tough uh, on a uh, rookie quarterback. So I don't understand the uh, strategy to put David Montgomery in a quarterback to run option stuff. When you have Justin Fields who probably runs a four or three, you know, who could run those those concepts. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how much now that they've committed to him as the starter, that mm-hmm. package grows, uh, knowing that he's going to be, uh, again, very tough to believe whatever comes out of uh, the Chicago coaching staff's mouths. But right now they've committed to him as being the number one for the rest of the way. And I imagine, I hope, just like you do, that we'll see more of that because he's, incredibly talented not only physically he's fast but he's also a really big guy um and he's not a bad runner at all like he has a lot of experience running from the quarterback position and even at the pro level we've seen that translate we saw it in the preseason when he took off um he he's a gifted runner and can really hurt defenses very easily when they make uh, small mistakes so i hope we see that because it'll put a lot more pressure on opposing defenses so, got to put you on the spot. Raiders are sitting at four and a half point favorites in this one. What do you think the Bears need to do to upset the Raiders? I think they have to run the ball well. Um, the Raiders' run defense is uh, one of their weaknesses. And, you know, I think what we talked about, using Justin Fields more in the run game as an option quarterback, 
Um, it's going to offset the loss of David Montgomery and help out that offensive line. So I think if they are able to run the ball well, and if they run the ball well, I think Justin Fields has to be a part of that. And I also think they have to break tackles in space. I think, um, you know, Bradley saw what Fields was able to do with those max protection deep shots. And part of his philosophy is to make, uh, make you check the ball down and uh, rally up and tackle. So uh, some of those um, Bears skill players, when they get the ball in space, when they get, you know, on a check down, a three yard check down or something, they're going to have to break tackles. And it doesn't have to be a 20 yard gain every time. But if you could turn a three yard gain into a six, seven yard gain, that, that does a lot for the, um, that does a lot for the um, offense. And also you have to be able to pressure Derek Carr with four and, um, obviously, you know, Khalil Mack, that's, they're, they're going to be able to do that. So um, it's just about keeping that pressure constant and, and uh, keeping that defensive line con- rotation strong and, and just keeping the pressure on throughout the game. Let me ask you this. The Raiders are in a tough division. And luckily, the Bears only have to play the Raiders out of this division. Um, this is the 17th game. This is the, the one uh, extra game that they added to the schedule. How do you stack these four teams right now in the AFC West, because it, I think it's just going to be a slug fest. Yeah, it's uh, it, I think it's the best division in football. You know, everybody says the NFC West is the best division in football, but just watching uh, these guys play, it's uh, they're just really talented teams. I, I still think the chiefs are the number one team, even though, um, you know, even though they, they had a bit of a shaky start. Um, I just, you know, I think that defense will eventually figure it out. Uh, they've been pretty terrible. And Patrick Mahomes was pressing a little bit in, in the beginning of the season, but uh, you know that offense is just deadly, and and the defense will eventually start to sharpen up. I think Steve Spagnuolo is too good of a def- defensive coach. Uh, two, I would say the Chargers. You know they just beat the Raiders, and Justin Herbert to me, I just think you know I just think the world of Justin Herbert. I think he's already a top three, top four type of quarterback. Uh, Brandon Staley, you, you know, has already. Um, Ready has an effect on that defense and they're really good at stopping ex- explosive plays and um you know and it's still the beginning they're going to get better uh, in that system so um i think the chargers are a really scary team unless they start you know charging and getting a bunch of injury you know <laughs> getting hit with the injury bugs i i think they're gonna be a, a legit playoff contender and three the raiders and, and four the, the denver broncos and um you know, the Broncos have. A, if you look at their roster, they have a lot of guys on their on their team, and um, it, it's kind of strange to say that they're in the bottom of division. They just don't look like a bottom of division type of team. Uh, but they, you know, they are um, they ha- they have enough players to beat anybody on any, any given Sunday. Yeah, it's a rugged division. I think the lead's going to change hands. It's funny you say chargering. We were talking about the Chargers on my other podcast a couple days ago, and we we said what Brandon Staley's doing with what they showed against the Raiders. Chargering might the the meaning of chargering as a verb might change, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the well, the thing of- is, the thing with the charger, you know, when you say chargering, it's like they they do something stupid at the end of uh, end of the game to blow um, to blow everything up, right? But I, I think what's interesting is Staley is he, you know, he doesn't put his team in those situations because of his aggression, you know, going for it and fourth down, going for that touchdown uh, against the Kansas city chiefs, rather than rely on their kicker who they, um, they weren't really that um, confident in, in that moment against that wind. And he ended up missing the extra point, you know, and if he missed that field goal, we would have say they were charging, but you know, because of Staley, they weren't in that situation. 
Yeah, it was interesting to see against the Raiders that he did exactly that. He said, okay, we're going to buckle down and run them over. Like, mm-hmm. you could see that very clearly at the end of the game. He was like, no, we're not going to have Justin Herbert air it out eight or ten more times. We're going we're gonna to take Austin Eckler, and we're going to pound, and he's going to seal this thing, and we're going to walk out of here with a W. And we, we both kind of looked at each other and went, huh, that's different. And uh, if he keeps that up, charging might change as a verb. Uh, one of my favorite verbs, by the way. But, yeah, I think it would be good <laughs> for Chargers fans if it changed meanings. All right, we got speed round trying this out, just uh, going with a couple quick hitter questions. And EJ, you can answer this too because you've been to this stadium. But what's the best part of the Raiders moving to Vegas and that new stadium? Uh, Not having to deal with leaky toilets and uh, (laughs) (laughs) just a disgusting overall stadium. Um, I mean, that, you know, just the, the, the upgrade from what you had at the Oakland Coliseum to the you know this billion dollar Allegiant Stadium is just enormous so um you just have to go to Allegiant to kind of uh, understand yeah it's incredible uh the sight lines are amazing uh no expense spared in terms of uh the fan experience and then my other favorite thing about it is just proximity right all those people walking across the bridge on that Monday night game like it, it feels a part of the place. It's not one of these stadiums that's 35 miles out of the city center and whatever. Like it's, it is right there at the end of the strip and, and everybody just kind of literally walks to the game, pours in. Uh, and that was really cool to see. Um, my and, you sneaky, get to, and you get to party too. Yeah. I mean, Vegas is a great <laughs> town, no shortage of things to do, but one of my favorite things that's kind of underrated was the views from inside the stadium looking out. There's always people mm. like, oh, like some of those window vistas looking out over the desert and the mountains as the sun was going down for the Monday night game. I was like, wow, this they thought about this thing from every angle, not just looking in and what it looked like when you're in the seats looking down. But as you're walking around, it's it's just a gorgeous building. Nice. All right. Well, I'll have to go. Um, all right. So if you do happen to stumble in a casino, maybe your room is there and you just go on the ta- on the floor. Is there a table game that you like or slots or poker? Like what's what's your game in Vegas? Um, so actually, I, I, I love uh, poker. I love Texas Hold'em. Um, I don't I really don't know how to play much else. Uh, my dad was actually a professional uh, blackjack player. So um, gambling's in my blood a little bit. OK. Um, I'm not a huge gambler, uh, but I, I think I'm pretty good in poker. I mean, I generally win, you know, come out with money um, more often than not. Um, so, yeah, poker's my favorite game. All right. Well, we see you in the card room. We will turn tail and go the other way and not give us <laughs> give uh, give you our money. Um, what do you think in terms of just the fan base in general? What do you think is the best thing about Raiders fans? Oh yeah. So I, I think the best thing about Raider fans is there's just a real strong uh, family environment. When you go to a Raider game and you're wearing silver and black, if you're wearing a different color Jersey, it might be a different story for you. Um, but if they know that you're a Raider fan, you know, they, they invite you to their tailgates. Um, you know, they just treat you like, um, like a, a good friend that they've, they've known forever. And it's just a very strong community uh, within Raider fans. All right. Now I, I follow you on Twitter which I recommend everybody doing because you have great stuff. One of the best things that you do is you take pictures of pizza, pizza that you are making and you are bragging about and always making me hungry. And so I have to ask, what's the secret to great homemade pizza? Um, the, the secret I think is to just 
to make everything yourself. You know, I, I think a lot of the store-bought stuff um, has its limitations and um, especially dough. You know, I think um, learning how to make dough could be difficult, but it's really worth it. And I, I think uh, once you get into it, you really kind of try to perfect it and you try to mess with ratios and try different doughs, you know, different hydration percentage. And uh, it, it's just really fun to do. And, I, you know, I've come up my, with my own formula that I've been pretty happy with. Um, and it just takes, you know, it, it takes, uh, it, it's a, it's a process and it, every little detail changes the, the eventual outcome. And, um, it, it's just a fun process to get into. And, um, you know, even if you mess up, pizza's still good, you know? So, uh, right. it's, uh, and, and I think pizza is a, a type of food where you share too, you know, it's meant to be shared. So, um, it, it's always good to, you know, be able to share with friends, family and, and, and whatnot too. So, um, yeah. I, I highly recommend uh, just trying to make your own dough and and see how see where it takes you. All right, and since we're from Chicago, we would be remiss if we didn't ask. Since you make your own pizza, would you ever try make a deep dish? Um, I uh, I so I've <laughs> never been <to> Chicago. <laughs> I've never been to Chicago, so I've actually never had a good deep dish pizza. Well, and I'm we'll not, have to fix I'm that. Not one of those guys that are hating against it. Uh, I just haven't had a good one. And I think it's probably hard to find a good one outside of Chicago. It's probably true. It's a very different experience, right? Mm -hmm. I don't think a lot of Chicagoans eat deep dish pizza all the time. I think it's still something that they do occasionally. And there's a lot of good pizza that's not deep dish in Chicago. So I just want to, for the record, we the know record. that Chicago is not just deep dish, but it is part of that culinary experience of Chicago. But yeah, it's it's a very different experience and, and you, you shouldn't want to do anything after you eat it right like that's you know <laughs> you're gonna need like a couch to lay down on but um I, I i love your stuff ted and i really appreciate you coming on and um ej for setting this up because your stuff's great make sure everybody listening goes checks it out on the athletics uh website or the app you can get it an app on your phone um to make sure that you get the athletic articles and ted pops up on robert Mays's podcast uh every now and again and you have your own podcast correct yeah we i uh, have we have a Raiders podcast, State of the Nation, with Jimmy Durkin, Vic Tafer, and Tashawn Reed. Uh, so, yeah, if you want to hear about the Raiders and you want to hear our preview, we, we did a preview, and we're going to do a post-game um, after game as well. Well, love your stuff. Uh, never never too many chances to talk to you. I'll take everyone I can get because I learn something every time. So thanks for coming on. Thanks for sharing your Raiders knowledge with Bears Over Beers listeners, uh, and we'll definitely talk to you again soon. No problem. Thanks for having me on. All right, EJ, um, we'll take a quick break. And then after this, we're going to get into our own Bears preview. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, EJ. So here's the Bears preview. I have four bullet points. The first three say Justin Fields, Justin Fields, Justin Fields. We got to talk about this. We have to talk about this. And I'm going to bring this experience of being there at Soldier Field into this, into this conversation. Everything about that game 
was kind of amazing about the an entire fan base just completely 100% behind number one. They, he came on the field, cheers. Okay, I get it, right? Sure. Um, he came off the field for war. This is warm ups, right? Standing ovation. Like, great calf stretching. Like, I mean, the <laughs> amount of like cheering for this was, was, was remarkable. Okay. But never heard a bad word about it. Never heard a doubt. Never heard a, oh, you know, he's got to work on this, this, and this. No, it was just, it was all positive vibes. There was a lot of negative Nagy talk. You know, we have talked about that a lot in terms of like, don't listen to what Nagy says. Watch what Nagy does. And I think that proved out today. You know, Nagy came out in his press conference and announced that Justin Fields would be the starter moving forward. I think that's a real thing. I thought it was a real thing at the game. Like when he showed out, when he showed how good he could be, toothpaste is out of the tube, man. Like you can't put that back in. And so I just want to have a marker here to just say, this is what we've been waiting for. This is the moment that Justin Fields has taken over this team. And from now on, this is Justin Fields' team. We will be talking about Justin Fields and the development of a young quarterback. There's still things that we're going to see in the in the progression of this young man as he becomes a better quarterback. We're, we don't get to skip ahead to advanced Mahomes level stuff like he's he still has to to get there but the things that we saw in his first home start were incredibly encouraging particularly the downfield throws that were delivered in to bread baskets um to Darnell Mooney and Allen Robinson yeah I, I just want to say that you know what happened was two things and they're both really important and I had uh, I had posted something on Twitter after the game that was kind of a four point plan. And first one happened today, which is start Justin the rest of the way. No back and forth. No when Andy's healthy. No caveats. Like Justin's healthy. Justin's a starter. Period. Like that was step one. That got accomplished today. Step two. Nagy doesn't call plays again. He just doesn't. He can't. Yep. And that's what happened really on Sunday. Because look, Justin Fields legitimately almost started the Sunday before he played the majority of that game and Nagy was calling plays and it looked terrible. It was one of the worst games the bears have ever played. And it's the combination of Justin Fields being in there, taking the starter reps and laser calling the plays. And I just, I had to chuckle to myself throughout the game. Uh, I watched the game with one of our colleagues, Patty, who does the, the quickest game wrap up in the business. And She's and funniest. Yeah, absolutely. And she said, you know, do you think it's do you think it's Nagy or do you think it's laser? I was like, how can you ask if this is Nagy if you've watched the games? And I realized that I watch Bears games uh more of them <laughs> and more intently than most people do, and with it with a different level of detail, a different filter, a different lens. I I totally accept that. There is no way, and and the national press came around to this too. They're like, Well, maybe it's Maybe it's Nagy, maybe it's Laser, we don't know. And I'm like, you don't have to ask anybody, right? Everything came out after the game. I, I just chuckled at that because there was no way to watch the product on the football field, which was a cohesive, balanced offense that played to strengths, uh, challenged all areas of the field, and think that that's a Matt Nagy offense. That's not a Matt Nagy offense. It's Matt Nagy's plays called by someone else who understands the rhythm of play calling. So it was just that thumbprint, fingerprint, whatever you want to call it, was so laser start to finish. And the way he meshed 
those plays and that sequence with Fields' skills was was the reason that Sunday was Sunday. And if we continue to see that partnership between laser calling plays and Justin Fields, again, continuing to develop parts three and four of that plan where, look, he's a rookie, roll with the punches. You're going to have ups and downs. There's things he does well. There's things he's going to have to grow into. You don't get nervous about that. You chalk it up to development and keep going and try and get better. And I have full confidence in Justin Fields doing that. He has an excellent memory. He learns from his mistakes. And then just, you know, keep that role going. And part four was close, near and dear to your heart, which was scout lots of offensive line, (laughs) right? Because you're going to need to fill up on that. But that's a next year thing. But for this year, it's get him in there and keep him in there. Laser calls the plays, period, end of story. And three, ride the wave because you're going to get those great plays that we saw on Sunday. That first shot to Mooney was the signal. Like that was the first one that make DCs around the league go, oh, okay, we can't run late with a guy 50 yards down the scene because he'll hit him like in stride, in the chest, with momentum, pulling him away from the safety. That was a I, – I tweeted out about that throw. That was a beautiful throw. And the one to Robinson later in the game is the one that's really going to give all those DCs nightmares. The first one was kind of like wake-up call, okay, maybe. The one to Robinson was the, oh, crap. Like we don't get to make mistakes against the Bears anymore. Yeah, I mean, the couple, you know, Robinson had two, Mooney had two, right? And, and the one, the Robinson with the whole shot, I, I really like that one. That one, I tweeted out because I could see myself in the background. And so that I was saw that. fun, um, you know, but we, you know, we do the energy, right, um, of, of the crowd is just something that can't be replicated at home. But I mean, another thing is, and I, you know, I didn't watch the TV full broadcast. I watched the condensed game when I came back to try to prep for, the, the post game show, but we, you know, we noticed from where we were at, we, when we were looking at Nagy, you know, Nagy's usually like got the paper, you know, the call play sheet up to his eyes. And every time they, they train their cameras on, on Nagy on the sidelines, you know, he's, he's always just like got his nose in the, on the call sheet. And he's, you know, he's just focused. He's just focused on that. He's like, you know, looking like a bookworm into that call sheet. And, you know, he just really wasn't doing that. Like we, we were kind of watching him and, you know, he just seemed a little bit more, in tune to everything around him and not just like an offensive coordinator that was up in the booth. And like, we could see that. And I'm surprised that they didn't maybe show more of that on the, t- the broadcast, because I, I think we could just tell from how he was acting that he wasn't actually calling plays. I wonder if that's addition by subtraction too. just you saying that. I mean, I knew that was the case and I yeah. knew that was going on because actually TMG versus the game <laughs> during the game and said, what odds would you give me that Nagy's not calling plays today? And your answer was off the board. He's yeah. definitely not calling. Not plays, the odds. <laughs> which just, which just made me laugh so much because it was such a you answer, but just in you talking about that right there, I'm wondering if that doesn't make him even a better overall head coach because we both like him as a head coach, as a leader of players, as someone that makes pretty good in-game decisions when we're not talking about play calling. Uh, in terms of timing, he hasn't had you know huge issues that a lot of other coaches have. I wonder if that sort of heads-up, sort of greater overview doesn't even sort of amplify that a little bit. He's not as aggressive as I think that he needs to be in certain situations, right? Like when he had the ball down in the inside the five down on the road early against Cleveland and he decided to kick a field goal. Like there are things that he could improve on in terms of like that game management aspect of what he does in terms of the leadership stuff. It's more of like a reflection of what, how the players respond. I mean, we can't necessarily tell 
what that looks like, but it looks from the outside like the player is very cohesive. They play for him. There were times in the last couple of years that that team could have fallen apart. He could have lost the locker room, but they still fought and they were competitive in most of those games. And so, you know, that that's where we're coming from and saying, like, we think he's a good head coach like in terms of like that aspect of things. But he hasn't played the media particularly well, which that's part of a coach's job. You can say it's not important, but is part of the oh. coach's job. And I mean, I think it's important, but you know, he, he's done that poorly. I think he could have certainly even played that role better when he, he could have praised uh, Bill Lazor more directly and, and said, look, you know, we talked about it. I stepped back, I gave it over to Lazor and he did an incredible job. Um, you know, we all have roles on this team and that was his role for this game end of story it but he brought it back to him he was the ultimate decision maker it was you know and it just it felt clunky and it, it didn't you know didn't come off real well and he yeah, got kind of blasted for it mm-hmm. as he should have um and, and so i think that there are there are aspects that he could improve on but i do think that there is enough history with him in saying like yeah like the players respond to him they seem to like him maybe now if he is done for good and the calling the place thing Maybe we can, ha- maybe we have something here. Yeah. And maybe he even gets better at those things because again, in right. Cleveland on the road, he was concentrating on what play he was going to call as to, as opposed to whether or not he should be calling a play or kicking the field goal. He's got to do both. And now he only has to do one. Maybe that focus makes him even better. Right. He goes, mm, no, we should go for it. Bill dial something up. Right. That might be a release that unlocks him. Uh, to be an even better head coach, which wasn't something I was really thinking about because I was just honestly so focused on getting the play sheet out of his hand. I think in his mind, he wants to be Andy Reid for sure, right? Like that would be his mentor or, you know, some of these other offensive, he wants to be McVay, he wants to be thought of in those circles. But really, probably what he needs to be doing is thought of more as a guy like, I, I, you know, like John Harbaugh would probably mm-hmm. be like the guy Tomlin guys that like can add in during the week, but on game day, they're, they're the head coach and that's what they're focused on. They're not focused on uh, play calling duties. And so I know that that just think about that from a professional aspect, you have an idea of what you want to be, what you think you are. And the reality is coming up that like, maybe that's not who I am. And so there is probably a little bit of, you know, not playing amateur psychologist too much here, but I, there's probably something in his mind that is struggling with that. But if he has, you know, had that awakening and and has said, okay, this is what I need to do moving forward, maybe he can keep his job, <laughs> you know, because yeah. now you've got 13 more games with Justin Fields to show what you can do with him to develop him into the player that he needs to become for Chicago to win championships. Yeah, regardless of the record, and and we've said this in a lot of different ways, that this year is not about the record, it's about the development. But if Nagy can keep his hands off the play sheet, and Bill Lazor can be consistent, and Justin Fields can continue to learn, there is every possibility in the world that Justin Fields is the Offensive Rookie of the Year. Mm. Yeah, And if Justin Fields is the Offensive Rookie of the Year, Matt Nagy's not going anywhere. Right. Right. But he's got to keep it. And all he needs, and this is my next million bucks, JB, is a modification sticker for all his little BU stickers. And it's a little carrot and it says a different above it. And he can just go (laughs) stick those on all his little BU stickers. And it just says, be a different you, because the other you he's actually really good at. 
we've just talked about all his strengths as a, as a sort of people say CEO head coach. I don't like that term, but that's, that's what it is. Um, and he's really good at that. And that's not an easy thing to be either. He's just a terrible play caller and he needs to stay away from it. If he does, all the arrows are pointing up. Justin Fields look good. I think it looked better with more experience. Lasers game plan was good. Yes. It's Detroit. Yes. The bears always get healthy against Detroit and it's a lousy defense. I know. I don't care. It was a good and balanced game plan. Is right. it going to be rougher against the Raiders? Sure. No problem. And we can get into talking about the Raiders a little bit. And I actually want to flip to the other side when we talk yeah. about the Raiders, because I really think we need to talk about it. It's all naggy and laser and fields and it, it should be. I get it. Um, that that's Chicago, but Sean Desai and the job he's doing with the defense, especially with the rush. Yeah. Sean Desai's work with the defensive line pass rush is hiding what is a terrible secondary outside of Jalen Johnson. Right. And they're not getting crushed. And that is a miracle. And Sean Desai deserves the biggest credit we can possibly give him for that. Yeah. We're talking about right now through four games and the Bears are two and two. They're not four and oh, and they haven't just allowed their defensive line to tee off in every game. So uh, through four games, they are first in the league in sacks with 15 and Quinn looks good. Mac looks good. You know, all these guys look good, but they're also being put in positions to succeed. They're also being put in incredible, incredibly advantageous positions um, based on what the size doing with them. And so 15 sacks through four games is a really nice pace. I mean, that is uh that's, that's not that you're going to, you know, just put a multiplier in, but that would be significantly more than what Fangio was able to do with the defense in 2018 where they had 50 sacks. And so they're, they're on a, a really nice pace right now. Again, who knows if they'll be able to keep that pace up, but you have to be uh, pretty excited about what Sean Desai has been able to do. And as we just saw, and as we talked about Joey Bosa going after Derek Carr on Twitter is that, Hey man, like if you heat this guy up, He's going to, and you know, Ted was very nice and diplomatic, but there was a <laughs> play. Was. There was a play late in that, late in that Chargers game where, down. where Carr stepped up in the pocket and then just like held the ball close to him, waited for the impact. And the, the nearest defender was two steps away. Like yeah. he, he could have gotten rid of it. He could have tried to make a move. No, he like just kind of wrapped up and gave up on the play. And so, yeah, I do think that he got he got heated up and, and it bothered him and, and he got to the point where he reverted to some of those bad uh, habits that he formed basically around that injury. And so I, I, I do think that they, of course, are the key to this game because they can have an impact just like that defensive front of the Chargers did on Monday night. Yeah, I know the play you're talking about. We talk about it on bootleg specifically. It's a third down play, and this is sort of my second defensive key of the game for the Bears is Hunter Renfro on third down is such a security blanket. He's a very good football player. He's underrated. He had a great play on special teams, but that's not who he is. He is the go-to guy. He is there. Think of him as a Julian Edelman on that team because he is. That's his role, and it was an ISO route to Renfro, and Bradley just mugged him. Bradley just double mugged him and said, somebody else is going to beat us. They put a guy inside and a guy outside in a straight bracket and said, you're not getting Renfro. Go somewhere else. Literally, Carr looked up. He was like, Renfro, oh, oh no, what do I do? And he pulled the ball in, didn't get hit for another half second, but he didn't even look at other options. He had Waller and 
you know, tighter throw, but at least make the throw. So, you know, Ted talked about the offensive line of the Raiders not being great. The defensive line we just talked about, the Bears, is as hot as any unit in the league right now. They're getting, you know, Quinn is just a whole different thing healthy. Like, obviously, the injury was holding him back. His burst is unreal again. Travis Gibson needs some love. He had his breakout game. I tweeted out in the middle of that game, when people go back to the All-22, this is going to be the Travis Gibson, uh, Gibson breakout game. Book it. And It was my trench tribute of the week on the review show. Beautiful. And when you have uh, multiple pieces going together, it's that rule of three. In this case, it's more like rule of four, right? right? You've got Hicks. You've got Bilal Nichols, who has been quiet. Quinn has been loud. Mac is still there. Travis Gibson is heating up. Like, all of a sudden, this thing is just hitting on all cylinders, and it's going to go up against a line that is not a particular stalwart right now. They've had their issues. So that sets up really well for the Bears, but they have to contain Renfro on third down, or they're going to have continuation of drives. Other than that, we'll see how it goes. But if they can do those two things and really move the Raiders to adjustment to get away from that, to have to do things to deal with that, you always got to worry about this team in the second half because they do heat up and Gruden is good at adjustments. They've been typically slow starting. And if the Bears can get up early, keep that pressure on and then be able to sort of unleash the pass rush even more, it might nullify those second half adjustments. Yeah, I mean, the the Chargers, you know, you've got Brandon Staley, who's came from the Vic Fangio tree. You've got Sean Desai, who came from the Vic Fangio tree. So, you know, you have cousins, you know, in terms of what the Chargers are and what the Bears are on defense. Obviously, um, both guys are in their first year in those, in those particular positions. And so it's interesting to watch Chargers defense. It's interesting to watch. Broncos defense and, and Bears defense and try to pick up some of these differences. But I, I think that Sean Desai should be able to watch that game film and say, well, I speak that language. I know how, I know what they did. And, yeah. and that's for the best, right? If, if it was a completely different defensive system and, and, and that's what was given Carr so much trouble, you might be like, okay, I mean, maybe they can incorporate some of it. This is, you know, they're related. And so, uh, you know, you feel really good about Desai being able to pick up some of the stuff that the Chargers put on tape there. Because you know the Raiders looked terrible in the first half. I mean, I, I thought they almost they almost got run out of town. Yep. I mean, it was twenty-one to nothing at half, and so and, and the Chargers probably could have run them out of town a little bit in the third quarter, but they 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 stalled out a little bit and let them back into it, and then and they finally put them away. But I, I'm I mean I think this game's interesting. I they got to win. <laughs> I don't I want to say they got to win it because again we you know we don't want to keep saying that, but this schedule's getting tough. Um, you know, they're going to, they're going to see some really good teams here in the near future before the bye week. Um, and hopefully after the bye week, we can get David Montgomery back, but this is, this is the, one of the more winnable games that they're going to have one of the more winnable games on the road that they're going to have for the rest of the year. Uh, and so I, I, I do think that this will be a really big test for Justin Fields. It'll be a really big test for this new construction of play caller and, and fields. And it'll be a nice test for Sean Desai and, I, I think four and a half's fine, um, but this is one that I would actually feel comfortable uh, taking the Bears with with those points because I think they're going to keep it close. I sure hope so. The other thing they're going to have to do is is cap off the top because just like we we talked about the Bears having explosive plays in the first half, if the Raiders do heat up and come out and hit a couple of deep shots to Rugs and put points on the Bears, 
it's going to change the complexion of the game that way as well. So Desai is going to have to sort of guard against those deeper explosive plays early in the game. Then he's going to be able to tighten up later because the Bears have also been really decent against the run. They've had their moments. Um, but, you know, if you can force the Raiders to go to that more West Coast crossing route offense that Gruden really wants to in those four and five yard gains, that doesn't scare Sean Desai. That doesn't scare the Bears defense. What scares him is 35 to 50 yards at a chuck to Ruggs or Waller. Like, that's what scares him. So if they can limit those in the first half, they're going to set themselves up for a competitive game. And I think you're right. I think they do keep it close. It's going to be a really interesting game either way. Yeah, a lot of talent on that offense. So we'll see what happens. But let's circle back to your Ravens Claw beer. Oh, um, yeah. Uh, this is Black Raven Flocktoberfest. It is a lager, but it's a fall seasonal. And I kind of like that because a lot of times uh, fall seasonals are, you know, stouts and porters. We get into the heavier beers. This is a lager. This is a lighter beer. Um, again, an Oktoberfest style. It's delightful. It's clean, uh, 5% alcohol by volume. So you can certainly drink a couple of them. Um, it, you know, they say balanced, crisp, clean, and toasty. There is a little bit, uh, of that at the end it doesn't have it's not particularly bitey like a if you know a, like a czech pilsner or you know a true german lighter lager it's a little it has a little bit rounder warmer flavor than that and i love it um i am super glad that i've got five more of these in my fridge and it's got some great i know you love can art so it's i got love can great, art it's got this great beer stein can art on the back of it so um no all around Love it. How was your uh, hard-to-find listener-provided booze? So here's the thing. I honestly, I have I have yet to see this in a store near me. And so uh, when I saw this posted, I reached out to Chad, and he uh, was willing to go get me one, and then he gifted it to me, which is incredibly kind. And I just have to say, it is it's better than I even thought I was going to be. I thought it'd be good, but this is delicious. I mean, this is just, it's hard sometimes with expectations when you've been mm, like, you said, it met it's, it's in that pappy tree, right? I mean, this isn't pappy, but this is in the pappy tree. It's in the, you know, the same, the same people. And sure. I can tell, like I, you, you can tell, I mean, I've, I've had pappy. Um, I don't, I mean, I don't have it now, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I have, I have, I have, I just like pouring it in my rum and you know, my whiskey and near you. Yeah. I mean, I, again, drink how you want to drink, but that would, that would be something I, I that could would be the do. JB made it right. He's pouring Pappy and Coke. <laughs> I, I think you'd have to check me into a facility. Uh, lost it by then, but, uh, this is delicious. This is something that, uh, you don't need anything with. It's, it's, a fantastic on its own it's great um smooth it's uh it's got really good complex flavor uh i i don't know man like this is living yeah no well justin fields wearing my new hat with the 46 bears logo that i got at the game yeah i'm living man this is great we should give the shout out to the new togs it's a sharp hat uh but shout out to chad as well he's been a longtime supporter of bears over beers longtime listener interacts on twitter all the time and there's been a lot of folks like that and many of them have reached out and said hey how do we support bears over beers and we really didn't have a way um besides you know buy us a beer if you see us or or you know uh we've had listeners uh reach out to us and and take us out or or buy us a beer we've had listeners send us a beer before one of their favorites Little stuff like that, but not a way that if you just really enjoy the content every week that you could help support the show. And now we do. Bears Over Beers is now on Patreon. We got the Patreon site up. 
last week. All you have to do is search Bears Over Beers on the Patreon site. It'll pop up. We have three different tiers of support, uh, benefits for all three tiers. And um, if that's what you choose to do, A, thank you very much for even considering it. Uh, It's incredibly humbling that people want to pay us to do this work, but it does help us produce more content. Um, You know, we've been really lucky this year to have some tremendous guests that's lined up just very well for us. And we're going to continue to try and do that. It's been enjoyable for me. I hope it's been enjoyable for you. Um, but if you want to check out the Patreon site, if you can do it great, if you can't, that's fine too. Uh, the other thing is we're on YouTube now. So go watch these, right? Watch these great guests that we have um, and like it on YouTube because likes on YouTube helps the algorithm leave a comment uh, with a few words about what you thought about the episode. Uh, we love listener and viewer comments. They help us make the show better. Uh, we've gotten some great suggestions from viewers and listeners uh, over the years to make the show better. So just interact with it that way. It's a new way that we're presenting content. It's just an extra thing that we're doing. Big shout out to uh, the editing help we're getting from our buddy, Robert Schmitz, who is also part of Windy City Gridiron. Couldn't do it without him. Um, but love creating the content. Love the interaction. Let us know how it lands with you, uh, and we'll just keep making more of it. Awesome, man. I appreciate everybody uh, listening. We'll be back next week with another guest. Until then, Justin Fields is a starter. Bear down. Bear down.